Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Today, we are really, really excited to be speaking with Washington football team's president, Jason Wright, newly minted into a role what a time we are living in, to say the least. We are speaking to you, Jason, on Thursday morning, uh, August 27th. I guess I have to start by asking, how are you? This has been an incredible time, but even the last 24 hours have been pretty remarkable, to say the least. Yeah, they have been. If I think, uh, if I think about my first four days as a chief executive, um, I would not have put together this as the ideal recipe, but at the same time, I'm you know, I'm tired, but I'm I'm actually you know quite grateful to be in the middle of so many important conversations. Some that are national, some that are within my organization, um, and then others that you know no one knows about that are business related that are all really really important. Um, I think for me, I like to be at the center of things where there's actual important decisions to be made. And that is a very um, energizing and emboldening thing. And I've also found out that I have a hell of a team to work with in my top team and my top team leadership in this organization, um, really talented folks who, you know, in the midst of all of this, have started to gel. And um, so despite the fact that I could probably sleep for a week straight uh, right about now, uh, I'm feeling good about our, our start. The irony is, never mind about COVID nineteen fears. Will the NFL right. yeah, we play? About that, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to me. It's like we were all worried. Will the NFL have a season because of the COVID nineteen scare? Now I'm wondering mm-hmm. if the NFL will have a season because to stand in solidarity with other uh, pro uh, sports because mm-hmm. of what's happening uh, in our world today, especially the latest. What happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin? Right, right. Um, I don't know the answer to that either. Um, you know, I 
to me, to, to me in the way that we are approaching it here, and of course if we're approaching it this way, I think it's a good approach. <laughs> but uh, Co- Coach Rivera, myself, Dan Snyder, we all have have thought that the important thing about all of this is dialogue, communication, and depth of understanding, ultimately resulting in some sort of empathy. Ultimately, sort of some some sort of empathy um, and wisdom you know, across anybody who's engaged on this topic, and most certainly sports figures who, whether they want to or not, are thrust into the middle of a, a, a national dialogue that no one has ever been a good steward of, much less a sports team that's just trying to compete on the field. Right? Um, and, and and the importance of getting to a conversation that really taps into mindsets and hearts, and is honest and open, and you know helps to progress something positive and ultimately leads to action that, um, you know, that, that, that is helpful, whether it's on a topic of, you know, racial justice, criminal justice, or something else. Um, and so I think, you know, uh, for us, our approach is let's give space for the conversation, but let's also not top down say, hey, here's what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, because that's actually sort of the, the opposite of the expression of, freedom, individuality, diversity, frankly, of viewpoints and approaches that will actually get us to a right answer and evolve all of our thinking on the topic. So, for example, Coach Rivera, I think, had a great, has, a, has a great position on this. You know, he has said, look, over the last few years in talking with my coaches and, and players, my thinking has evolved a ton. I've learned a lot. I've grown wiser, especially on the topic of racial justice. Uh, and that evolution has, you know, changed me. And then it caused me to go read the Constitution. This man read the Doug on Constitution. Wow. <laughs> and, and he said, when I read the Constitution, it was clear to me that individual expression of their views, no matter how it's expressed, is important and essential to moving us toward the promise of a more perfect union. And I want to create that environment on our team. You know, this predates me joining. I could not be more in line with that. That means that, you know, guys, and this was focused on the team, but I think this is more broadly across our organization, that guys on the team have the ability to express themselves however they see fit as individuals. And even if it is not what Coach Rivera would do or what I would do, because all of us are individuals, um, and we all have our own way of expressing this that's authentic to us, that's in line with our values, et cetera. Even if it's not what either of us would do, we are supportive of and will make space for that. Um, and we're not going to throw anyone under the bus if we disagree, you know. And and I think that is both in, you know, the letter of the law as it pertains to how I see our republic um, and in the spirit of a team that embraces inclusion, um, I think is exactly spot on. And so I, I couldn't be more supportive. And so today, you know, we're having a dialogue, um, uh, to, you know, giving the guys most of the day to reflect um, great decision by Coach Rivera. We're, we're going to have a dialogue that starts to suss out where people are at across the wide and acceptable expression of views that exist on a topic like racial justice. And through that diversity of viewpoints, pull it together in something that the team can align around um, and also make it clear that all of these different viewpoints, whether you agree or disagree, are going to be welcome within the Washington football family. Um, and so that's a little bit of the, that's a long-winded way of laying out the philosophical approach we're taking. 
but you know, as, as well, does it does it does all of this result in an NFL season not being played? I have no idea. We're just starting the conversation. <laughs> I would hope we're still playing, but that's a personal view. <laughs> Congratulations, first of all, on on your job, uh, well earned, well deserved. Um, sure, before you go to bed every night, you have a to do list when you show up at the office, and then things just change so rapidly overnight. You probably rip it up and throw it away <laughs> because yeah. it's become irre- irrelevant during the few hours that you got to sleep. What on this Thursday? This 27th, what's job one for you on this day? I just want to say in light of what's happening in the bubble with the NBA and some of the major mm-hmm. league baseball teams. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, job one today is to structure a conversation with the team um, alongside Coach Rivera. And that's what actually what we're doing right before I hopped on with you. I actually kicked Coach out to hop on with y'all. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. You don't kick coach out of anywhere. No, I was um, gonna say. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, but he, he graciously was like, "Please take the interview." But we were we were planning and structuring the conversation to be one you know, that's open, that is personal, that is real, but that's also pragmatic. And um, uh, that that was sort of job number one today. But actually, before that, this morning, with my team. Um, on the business side, was actually reflecting on how we handled everything yesterday, the various things that flew across to us in what was really a day where we had to, to, to mobilize and learn to work together in a dynamic way really quickly, um, was actually reflecting on that. And while I think we got to good outcomes across most of the things that we wanted to do yesterday um, and you know, stating how we feel and supporting our workforce and all of that, there were some... There, there are things that were not perfect, and there are some missteps on how we managed things yesterday. So it was a, the morning before this was a bit of a learning for me. And right after we're done here, I'm going to take those learnings and actually express those to my team. So here are the things that, we, that went great and where I think we led really well together. Here are a few of the things that I would do differently next time. Because I think it's important that we all have that level of vulnerability and openness to develop a good working model. I think it's the right role modeling for how we want our culture to be. And we want to be able to give each other feedback and own our mistakes and missteps so that we get better over time. And um, so that's the other order of business for me. It's actually, you know, uh, reflecting on, a, you know, arguably my first big day as a leader here and what I could do better. And then, um, you know, the rest of the day um, will be focused on, um, really helping our workforce uh, continue to feel, um, you know, trusted, you know, uh, empowered, that they know that there's, uh, you know, a good direction um, coming um, for those who are worried about the direction of the business side and, and really want to understand, you know, what we're going to do um, around culture in the future um, is really making sure that we can have those conversations in the right way at the right level. Um, and then, you know, if I get if I get back to the other stuff that was on my list now, I'll let y'all know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, if we can, Jason, talk a little bit about this. And, and as you're speaking, I'm, I am thinking that you are throwing, I would imagine, every day, everything you've learned as having earned an MBA from a top-tier business school and especially working at McKinsey in complex operations. And I'm sure you were thinking about matrices and all these different things because you mm-hmm, do you have – all of these different elements at once. And, and we talked a, a little bit, and I'm sure we'll talk more about the racial justice piece, but 
I want to zero in on something you just said, which is the culture of this organization that you are now leading, which Mm -hmm. all you have to do is read a newspaper or a blog or Twitter to understand this is an organization that has some really major problems. How do you start to, again, I'm sort of using some consultant speak here, I think, unpack that and sort of break it down into solvable problems? Love it. Love it. You're making me feel comfortable. Let's unpack it. Let's unpack it. Um, uh, to me, the first thing you, all, you have to do is you got to get the fact base. And the, the Washington Post article is one input, but it also it requires investigation to understand what's, what's real, what's not, right? It takes, we, we have to sort through. Um, uh, and there's, mo- there's most certainly stuff that is real. And there's most certainly stuff that's not, you know, or not in the same way. I got that's, and we're going to suss through that. Um, there's another set of inputs that are coming from the independent investigation that's going on, and that's going to be another source of data and information. And then we're going to gather our own. You know, there are quantitative ways to measure culture, you know, across an organization, and I want, and I'm going to get that. Um, you know, we're, we're launching out next week with a few of the methodologies that I'm familiar with from before. Um, to, to gather that, to understand, you know, where do we have open and collaborative culture and where do we not have it? Where do we see a lot of bottom-up innovation in parts of our organization and where do we not see it? Where do we see, you know, clear, um, you know, visionary leadership and where do we not see it across the organization? And what I expect is that we'll have hotspots where the culture is actually quite good and healthy, and those are things that we can we can take as best practices and help to help to move to other parts of our organization. And then there'll be areas where, you know, we, we, we're, we're lagging on culture and the experience is poor and engagement is low and likely productivity is low as a result. And those will be the areas where we have sort of a comprehensive set of things that we'll start to do. Um, but there's also, you know, low hanging fruit. <laughs> um, you know, we got to stand up an HR organization. We need one. Um, we've, We've got to get the blocking and tackling um, around, you know, employee relations process, the stuff I won't bore you all with on this call, but that, you know, is a bit rote, but really, really important. You know, what are the pathways for things to escalate, you know, through an organization? How do you preserve anonymity? You know, what kind of uh, matrix or threshold uh, methodology do you have for the types of things that come in? Like, that's the type of stuff that, you know, we're going to get out and start designing. And, so it, the, you start with the facts, and then you go for the stuff that you know needs to happen, irrespective. And then from there, once you have the facts, and it won't just be, you know, I'm talking about culture right now, but, it, you know, it's also around operational performance, financial performance. Then you take a step back, and you, fi- you figure out the three to five things that are going to move the needle where it matters most. So on culture, you know, what are the big initiatives, things that we can put in place. And I have an idea of what those might be in my head right now. But we don't want to do too many things at once because you can only absorb so much change and you want to do things with excellence. If there are areas on our on the revenue side where we really want to double down and have a spurt of innovation in this unique season, what are those and what are the methodologies we're going to use specifically? And then from there, we sit back and let that ride for a bit. You can't do everything at once. And so it's a bit of gather the facts, get the low-hanging fruit, and then get the narrow set of, you know, a few high-impact things that we can drive over the next period of time. And, like, I'm being a bit high-level because, you know, it's really 
it's really our organization and um I don't want to break the confidence of my colleagues of the exciting things that we're thinking about, um, you know, on the back end. But th- that, that's sort of how we're approaching it right now. I apologize if I'm going over the board a little bit here, but you got yeah. your MBA in 2013, which brings up the point when you completed your career in the NFL, you realized, hey, you know, there's going to have to be life after the NFL. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess you know, we've brought this up many times, and I ask you the same thing. What can you tell current NFL players now about mm. preparing yourself for what's going to happen down the road? Because you can't play, you can't run the sweep forever. So you're right, going to have to yes. figure something out. Yeah, um, you know, I I had the advantage. I, I can't take credit for you know having foresight and being you know really professional and planning. I had the advantage of just not being at the top end of the gene pool for NFL players. So, <laughs> so the fact that my talent. You know that I ran a you know four six at the combine. That told me right away that I needed to think about something beyond the NFL. And so from day one, I was always thinking about how my brain might carry me further than my legs. And you know, so for me, you know, I thought about internships in the off seasons. You know, I thought about you know when, when and how might I continue my education. I what I wish I would have done more of was actually build my network. You have a unique opportunity as a pro player to build your network of really smart people in business and government and uh, the social sector can create opportunities for you. I think, you know, I had in my mind a little bit, like if you work hard enough, the opportunities come. I I don't actually think that's how the world works. People create opportunities for people. And I wish I would have made more connections during that time, but I did some of it. And ultimately those things helped me even have business school on my radar. Cause I don't come from a world where folks go to business school. You know, my dad's a certain stage. My mom's a flight attendant. Like, they knew about law school, medical school, because everybody, you know, has come into a run into a doctor or a lawyer at some point. But we didn't know about this other stuff. And I have people in corporate America. That's just not not where not my family comes from. And and so, you know, even the fact that it was on my radar came through those internships, those experiences, and the network that I built. And then, you know, within business school, um, it, I really just let my intellectual curiosity lead me, and you know, it led me to where I am now. Jason, fair or unfair, uh, you're going to be under the microscope for all the obvious reasons for every move and every decision that you make. Um, do you welcome that uh, daily microscope, self-exa- self-examination, but examination from the outside as well? Oh, love it. No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> the, an- the anonymity and being under the radar would be wonderful to just get things done unencumbered, but... I think the the scrutiny helps in a couple ways. Um, uh, I mean, we always have a high bar on things, um, but but it reminds you that the stakeholders for which you're making business decisions in the organization, you know, extend just beyond the people in these four walls. Because you know, ultimately, especially on the business side, our decisions affect the fan base substantively, and you know, that public eye, that scrutiny. It's filtered through the lens of our very passionate fan base. So it's actually a good reminder of who we're actually working for at the end of the day. You know, does it make it, does it up the ante? Does it cause a little more anxiety in my head when I'm thinking about a decision we're making? Oh, hell yes, it does. And I would prefer not to have that. But in the, in the end, it's a positive thing because ultimately expanding the value of this franchise will flow through the fans. And they're the ones who, through whom this public eye is cast. 
Um, I think the other thing, I think the other thing that it does um, is that it it gives us internally the right intensity. It gives us the right level of energy and pace with which we work on topics. Because you know the scrutiny is off, is not often what did you do, but when did you do it, how quickly did you do it, and that's actually a good forcing function. You know we're not beholden to you know, the public eye or public opinion. I don't think you can make good business decisions doing that. But it is always a very welcome input um, into our process. Um, and so, you know, I, would I psychologically prefer it not be there? Would I sleep a little easier? Yeah, sure, sure would. But ultimately, it's, um, it's an aspect of this business that is helpful, I think. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Jason, speaking of the business, I imagine you, even before you took this job, understood, you mentioned the stakeholders, one of the key stakeholders that have really come to the fore in many ways. They were always there, but in the name change and so much, the sponsors uh, really weighed in in a way that, that they hadn't before, especially, and I know that it feels like the, the name change is now like the fifth thing that uh, it, it, I, if we had had sure. this conversation a month ago, sure. we'd be starting with the name change. It's sort of remarkable how the world shifts. But I do wonder how you view that constituency. We are, after all, talking about the business of sports, and the NFL is a massive business, and NFL teams are a massive business. How much of that business side is changing? How do you tackle that element of it, especially at a time where companies are candidly much more, I would argue in a good way, strident about what they want from their partners? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, they are, they are very clear with us about what they want, how they want to align with organizations, brands, et cetera, that align with their values, right, in a moment where uh, values are publicly on display more than ever. So you're spot on with, uh, with how the environment has shifted. I think, you know, if I think about how our team, um, you know, Terry Bateman, Scott Shepard, other folks who work in that area have approached it, I think it's the fundamental component of it is communication and transparency. And so I think, you know, if I, if I reflect on the last week, or, or, yeah, the last, let's take the last week, I think the thing that will help us with our sponsors and the thing that has been helping in communications is being completely honest about 
what we know as an organization, the processes we're taking, pulling back the curtain on what we're doing around culture, giving them the visibility that I didn't give y'all right now (laughs) into some of the concrete steps, um, you know, that we're taking around culture and the business and we're thinking about, you know, redeveloping, you know, our people strategy. It's actually giving them, you know, an in-the-family view of that because the strength of that communication and the openness is what will give our sponsors confidence that this is an organization that is on the move in a way that aligns with their values, their culture, and what they want to represent in the world. Um, so there's a bit of transparency that, um, you know, my colleagues have already instilled that is, you know, critically important right now. Uh, there's frequency of that communication. We're no longer in a world where, hey, we got a contract in place, et cetera. Thank you very much. Talk to you, you know, talk to you six months before renewal. I know that was never the approach here. I actually think our, our folks have done a, um, you know, a pretty proactive job. But thinking about you know, sponsors in the same way that we think about the fan journey, you know, and going to game day and going into the stadium is exactly what we want to do. Thinking, thinking about it in the same way that we think about the fan journey or the game day experience, what are the different touch points with sponsors that you know, are meaningful to them, that um, help their business objectives, but also make them feel valued, make them feel like they actually have good input and direction on the club because they, they should have influence on some of the decisions we make and what we do. Um, and so, uh, you know, thinking about it in that uh, uh, you know, fan journey, you know, sponsor journey sort of thinking is exactly the right methodology to, to cultivate those relationships. Um, and then I think, um, you know, lastly is making sure that we listen really carefully around you know, what they are trying to do externally and in society. Like, it's important for us to understand the CSR objectives of the sponsors, um, the, the key messages that they want out in the public around their product and their people. And, uh, and we need to understand that deeply. So we need to do a bit of listening, too. But I'm confident in our team to, to do that. You're in a unique position because you – have the vision of what it was like as a player. You have the vision and learning it more as you go along of now being in management in the NFL. And I bring this up because uh, the Clippers, Paul George, uh, he said he dealt with anxiety and depression inside the NBA bubble. Now, of Mm. course, the NFL is not in the bubble, but now I'm going to get preachy and I apologize for that. Mm -hmm. It's a reminder, and I've said this, I'm not going to lie, I've said this too, I say, well, if they're going to deal with COVID-19, all the pro sports, they have to be in the bubble and blah, 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 blah. But when you read Paul George's story, these are human beings. They have lives. They, they have a family. And, you know, and for our entertainment, they're inside the bubble. And that's got to be very hard. Can you expand more on that and your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, you know, I kick off my team meetings uh, by saying this, like, COVID-19 just really sucks for everybody. Mm. It just really does. You know, there's a lot of data on it, but you know, the psychological stress that most people globally are under due to COVID-19, especially where, you know, quarantine and stay-at-home rules are most stringent, are are really substantial and i think one of the things that we're going to learn anthropologically in the future is what effect this has on us from as a society from a mental health standpoint in the future 
um, especially for kids who are in developmental stages. It's actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nerding out a bit here, but it is actually a, a very real thing. And I think we've just been in it so much longer than we thought, and we are all sort of adjusting and acclimating that we forget that this is a once-in-a-generation, very substantial anomaly into how we live, work, and interact with one another. It's causing technology to evolve more quickly. Like it's, it's disrupting us in many ways, not the least of which is in our psychology and in our mental health. And um, that is in the backdrop of all of this. And that's why I, I say to my teams, especially when we're in moments of crisis or mobilizing around something emergent, is we're going to have to be gracious to one another because even in normal times, we would make mistakes and we would make missteps and we would have the wrong tone and we would offend. That's going to happen always. But especially in the context of COVID, we, none of us are our best selves. And we've just forgotten that because we've been in it so damn long. But none of us are our best selves in this environment. And we need a bit of grace and understanding for one another. Um, and I try to set the tone for that when we're entering meetings and discussing topics or things like that. Um, so that, I, 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 don't, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's, that's a little bit of how I think about it. Jason, um, whenever anyone takes a new job with an organization, there's a perception they have from the outside, and then once they start working, there's reality. What was your perception of the Washington franchise and your few days on the job? Uh, how does it match up with the reality of your perception? Mm. Mm. That's a good, I, I haven't had a chance to reflect yet. That's actually on my calendar after this, gentlemen. Um, but let me, let's start, let's start reflecting together. How about that? Um, no, I think, I think for the most part, you know, um, what I expected is what I've jumped into. I think things have come more quickly and with more intensity maybe than I expected. Um, so I get, so I'll give a, a few, few examples. You know, in my week zero, when I was meeting a ton with the media, um, I, I knew that we had a great asset in our fan base. I knew that for us to expand the value of the franchise, um, thinking about, you know, the season ticket holder experience, the suite holder experience, and the, and the off-season, the out-of-game engagement with fans, um, to, that, that is a, a critical component of that experience and the aspect they have that they bring into the stadium um, was going to be an, an incredible driver of value for us, um, both in dollars and cents and in the, and in the sense of you know, just how our franchise is doing more, um, you know, more broadly. Uh, I knew that was a big thing, and I knew this fan base was passionate. I did not know the depth. You know, like I played in Cleveland. There's a passionate fan base in Cleveland. This is on a different level. This is on a different level. And to me, that makes it that much more valuable for us. The opportunities for us to turn a corner um, and pivot um, in the, the level of you know, positivity in our fan engagement um, and, and that opportunity to expand the value of the franchise in, you know, also in dollars and cents ways as well is, is that massive. But it also means the stakes are very, very high. Um, so I'm glad that we have this, passionate and engaged fan base rather than one that's apathetic. But I, it's to a to greater degree than I thought. So that's one example. Um, you know, I knew that we would have, you know, bumps in the road coming um, for, especially for us on, on the business side, related to the allegations of sexual harassment and things that we 
or in the process of uh, investigating with the independent investigator that I knew coming in would be you know, a day one imperative for me uh, to address. And then, you know, a broader culture um, to find, as I mentioned earlier, to find out where we're good, where we're bad, and start to get one consistent culture that matches with what Coach Rivera is doing on the football side across the organization. Um, I knew that would be an imperative, and I knew that there would be bumps in the road because I knew that there was, there was likely more stuff coming. It hit sooner than I thought and with greater intensity than I thought. And I think what I learned this week um, is that we have what I expected coming in based on my time as a player, that we had a really talented set of folks on the business side. When I was playing, I remember thinking, like, damn, these folks are smart and creative. I thought they could make a whole lot more money working somewhere else. And it's true. But people like to be close to the game of sports because they're passionate about it. And so, you know, you have great talent uh, running around on, on, on the cheap often um, in sports. And, you know, I don't know if we have everyone on the cheap, but we definitely have great talent. And um, I didn't realize how much that talent has been achieving, but in the face of just feeling, you know, weighed down by, you know, story after story and, um, you know, you know, public, you know, just, just the public dialogue around the team not being positive. And folks have been persevering in a very heroic way to do really great work. You know, some of the, the, like the, the way that they, you know, our marketing side stood up a brand. Like, yes, everybody sees this as an interim brand, but they actually had to stand up this brand, <laughs> the Washington football team, in the context of all this stuff going on within COVID, uh, within you know, a big public dialogue around the name change. It's remarkable what they've been able to do. Um, but, you know, they've been doing that in the face of, you know, all of this stuff that they've been internalizing. So I, I, the, the degree to which we need to give our workforce, you know, more tailwinds, make them feel heard and lift that load a bit so there can be even more creativity and innovation broken out across our business operations, we, we absolutely need to do that. So I think that was another one that I, I wasn't surprised, but the degree to which folks have been persevering was remarkable to me. And there's other things like that. So, Jason, before we let you go, I know we're going to run up against some time here. I, I did want to take you back to, in some ways, where we started in terms of what you're doing in the moment as it relates to players. And, and a lot of this comes down to, again, in the Argata business, sort of talent management in a lot of ways. As we look at what's going on with the NBA and, and even in Major League Baseball, which has evolved a little bit uh, over this summer, the NFL has taken a lot of criticism over the past few years, all the way back, uh, or sort of at its most heightened moment, uh, with how it initially uh, handled Colin Kaepernick and kneeling during the national anthem. As you take this job and as you look at this situation through the lens of a former player, as a business person, and now a president, is the NFL doing enough? Is the NFL different in terms of how it's approaching its players and candidly empowering them to say what they want to and need to say? Yeah, I think it's hard for me to say on day, on day four. However, um, I think the thing I would point to beyond what I shared about Coach Rivera and how we're approaching it as a club, which I very much support, um, you know, Co uh, Commissioner Goodell's conversation that he had with Emmanuel Acho on uh, uncomfortable conversations with a, a black man earlier this week. And, you know, people can feel whatever kind of way they want about how, you know, what was in that conversation. And 
I understand cynicism, although I don't think cynicism is I'm a cynic myself, but I, I try to put it away when I'm focused on change because I don't think cynicism helps <laughs> to be a change maker. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, good reasons for cynicism and all that stuff. Sure. What, 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 what was remarkable to me about that conversation was, you know, an open, uh, an open view, a transparent lens into an individual evolution of views. I think this is something that, in general, on difficult-to-discuss topics, we don't often make space for in society, uh, for people to learn, to change positions based on what they learn, and to have you know, added nuance and layers to how they think about things over time, because people grow in their understandings as they're exposed to other perspectives. And, and what I thought was great about that conversation was, visibly and in a very clear way, seeing that evolution of thinking in Commissioner Goodell. My thinking has evolved over time. Look, and I've been someone who's been engaged on topics of racial equity, especially around economic empowerment, for years. My thinking has evolved since, you know, Kaepernick went from initially sitting and then on the advice of former military members taking a need to be more respectful and then the dialogue that has ensued since over years. You know, my thinking has evolved since then on topics like this. And I think the fact that there was public space for that should be instructive to all of us. This isn't about, you know, being, at least to me, at least in our, within our organization, being above some, you know, some bar of what you need to think, believe, et cetera, on the topic of racial justice or any topic. But it's about honest dialogue, expression of views, and evolution in a direction of something that creates positive change, where obviously change is needed. It's like, it's, it's sort of like, it's, I think it's a super overquoted, but you know, you know, Dr. King said the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it is not, that the, the arc vision is what really strikes me. It's, you know, it's a, it, I, look, I look at it as a slow bend or a curvature that is gradual and represents a bit of that evolution of how we move towards these things. Do you need big disruption to catalyze it? Yes, often you do. But um, I think that, 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 that's, that's the best um, frame that I can put on you know, how I've seen this dialogue evolve over time and where I see the, the NFL is at. This might be breaking news. Um, your team has decided not to practice today. That was as of 9.56 a.m. on Thursday morning. Was this a decision made this morning or made last night? No, yeah, we actually did an announcement last night. It's just probably trickling through now. It was late when it went out. Um, but yeah, we are, we, we decided, uh, coach Rivera, uh, and, you know, I jumped in the conversation with him and, and Dan Snyder and uh, all of us together decided that it would, it would be best to give the team space, uh, to dialogue about things. This is, I was referencing earlier. I thought you guys already knew actually, but you know, we're your coach and I were preparing for that conversation to have a good structured, open and productive conversation with the team around race, but more importantly, to hear from them, to help them inform, you know, what the strategy will be for Coach Rivera on uh, the team side, on the football side, and then understanding all of those inputs as I think about how we have dialogue around these issues on the business side, um, because, you know, the business folks want to have dialogue on this stuff too. So, you know, that's what we're, that's what we're doing here in a little bit. And, um, now, who knows how it goes? It could be a great conversation. It could be a crappy conversation. I don't know. 
the point is to have it, <laughs> mm-hmm. to be open and to be honest and try to shepherd it in a positive direction. Well, Jason, we're going to let you get to that. We are incredibly grateful that you spent some time with us this morning, day four, as you said, into a big job, an important job, and we really hope to keep in touch with you. We know a lot of folks are watching uh, what you do, and uh, you're a gentleman for spending uh, so much time with us. We really appreciate it. You're here. Yeah, my pleasure, y'all. My pleasure. So, guys, uh, Jason Wright, day four into his job, and as much as I think he is taking it in stride, what a job he has in front of him, Michael Barr. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It, it it comes at a time, obviously, you have, uh, first of all, he's the, the first president, black president in the uh, NFL. And it comes at a time where we're all over the board when it comes to racial injustice uh, in the world. And uh, his take, uh, so eloquent, the way he put it, uh, I, I, I really uh, have nothing but admiration for for what he says and and how to handle it, especially when we're talking about trying to deal with it in a COVID nineteen world. That bottom line, we need to be nicer to each other. Yeah, we can definitely use that now. Lynchy, what'd you make of it? You know what, what jumped out? Well, uh, I was impressed that he's out front. And, and talking about everything openly. Um, he's got a lot of stuff to deal with. There are allegations swirling around his owner. Um, there's been problems within the franchise. And he's right out front. And that, that's best, the best way to tackle everything, right out front. Don't hide behind it. But what, what surprised me and blew me away was that his coach, Ron Rivera, went and read the Constitution of the United mm-hmm. States. Now, name me every NFL head coach currently, past, and future, I don't know how many of them actually go and read the Constitution word for word and will use it when they address their team. And, uh, and he, he admitted that, you know, this, this country is made of individuals with individual, individual thoughts and, and freedom of speech. I thought that was pretty good. A good lesson in civics and shows how well-rounded Ron Rivera is. Well, I have to say my takeaway is I'm a sports fan, as both of you guys are, but I'm also a business journalist, and so in my kind of strange way, I root for business people that I I really admire. I'm rooting for this guy. I mean, I just, I think the ambition, but also the humility to some extent to take on a job of this stature at this moment. uh, And I think it's even more than he expected it would be. I mean, changing the name now seems like something that happened 50 years ago, uh, which is probably when it should have. But, you know, now he is facing an entirely different set of challenges so really looking forward to see what he does because listen he's a an astute businessman and if he can pull this turnaround off it could be one of the greatest in history do you love elon musk do you hate elon musk do you have no idea what to think about elon musk then we have just the show for you He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.